All right, and we are rolling once again. Kevin, how's life treating you, man? How was y'all Sunday? Man, because we're recording this on a Sunday. It was great. It was so far so good. And now that I'm able to talk to you, even better, Lee, even better. Hey, man, that makes me so happy. It makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy to know that at least someone loves me. So, yeah, that's good news. Yeah, we had a good day today. We said goodbye to a dear brother in Christ. We said goodbye to someone who, unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to meet in person. His health took a turn for the worse, and his family had to move him to a veteran's home in Texas before I had the opportunity to meet him, but he was a fixture at our church for many, many years. And he finally passed away and they had his funeral service this afternoon. And it was a really sweet service. It was a beautiful, beautiful send off for a, for a dear brother. And it was, it was just a really, really good day. And now today you and I get to get together. We get to record another podcast and, and it's not about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. I did the math, and if any of our listeners are interested, if you don't want to look at the times, that the run times for any of those episodes, over those episodes, folks, we talked for 14 and a half hours on that subject. So I know you're all greatly relieved that we're moving on to something else. And what we're moving on to is another topic that is just as important, if not more so. And it has to do with racism, not only in America, but within the church, within Christianity itself. There's no doubt that that racism is one of the black eyes on this beautiful country, and it's one of the black eyes and one of the one of the problems that humanity has faced from almost the very beginning. It's a it's a terrible thing. And while we're particularly interested in racism in the church, I mean, we recognize that this is a problem throughout the world. It's just worldwide. This is an issue. And it seems like while things have gotten better in some ways, we just keep cycling back and repeating so many of the same mistakes that our forefathers made. Yeah. And when you look at the idea of, of racism specifically in the church, that's what's really disheartening because as Christians, we should be leading the way uh, against pre being prejudiced, against showing favoritism. We should be leading the way in equality. And that's exactly what we see in the scriptures. And Actually, my wife, Bethany, and I were talking about this earlier today at lunch, how there's such a disconnect. There's such a disconnect because especially with people who are in the church, who are a part of Christianity, most, if not all, for by and large, especially living today, will tell you, I'm not a racist person. And they'll turn around and say, I love people. I believe that we should treat everyone equal. But then the way in which they apply those principles is not consistent and there's just a big disconnect there. And so I'm excited today to talk about this because I hope that people who are listening today will listen with an open heart. I hope they'll listen with an open mind and not make this about politics. This isn't about choosing a side in politics. This is about loving people. This is about not showing favoritism. This is about not being a person who is prejudiced. This is about being Jesus to people. And so I ask for anyone listening this is a religious topic. This is a topic that has to do with Christianity, and that's why we're talking about it. And what tends to derail these conversations so often is that we have become such a divided culture along subcultural lines, along the lines of Democrat or Republican or you know, along the lines of race even, or along the lines of old or young or rich or poor or whatever else. We have all of these designations and these dividing lines. And we need, especially as God's people, to come together and recognize where these dividing lines exist 
and where they exist in my heart. And, and I really appreciate what you just said, because you just said that if you ask anybody that's in the church or you ask any Christian, are you a racist? They, they answer, oh, no, I'm not a racist. But brother, I'll tell you, there have been times where it's been late at night and I'm walking. And if someone's walking by me and they're a different color than I am, I might, you know, be a little more aware of my surroundings. I might have that in my own heart. And that is not an appropriate emotion to have. I mean, you want to be on guard if you're in a strange place or whatever else, but to react that way to someone just based on the color of their skin, or it's that's, that should not be something that's in the heart of a Christian. James mentions that in James two. And, and Jesus talked about loving your neighbor as yourself. And the whole story of the good Samaritan is one that blows the entire concept of racism to smithereens. But, but those, are, cool those are Samaritans though. Those aren't, those aren't people of color. Well, they are people of color, but not, not, not from, you know, not, they're not African Americans. And so therefore that story doesn't apply. And, and I've actually heard a Christian say that before. Wow. The cognitive dissonance is real with some people, but in any case, we're doing something different today that we have never done before. This is our first time to do this. And I hope that our listeners will bear with us. We have some guests that are joining us for this conversation. We are really, really happy that we have some people that are probably more qualified to talk about this than what we are joining us today. Um, we have Scott Lloyd. We have uh, Sharon and Terrell, whose last names I don't know, but you do. So I'll Sanders. let you. <laughs> Sanders. Thank you very much. Guys, I'm nothing if not honest. So what we'd like to do is, is um, have hey, each of you. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to interrupt you because I, I feel really bad making that comment and not letting people know that that's sarcasm. So I hope by now people, <laughs> I, I do believe the story of the Good Samaritan applies just in case somebody takes that soundbite out of context. No, and someone probably will. We're going to be the, yeah, we're going to be castigated, kicked off our platform. We're going to get deplatformed, Kevin, and it's all your fault. Thanks a lot. All right. So if we would, let's uh, have each of you introduce yourselves. Um, uh, Sharon, let's start with you and then we'll have Terrell introduce himself. And then uh, Scott, will have you introduce yourself. Uh, sure. Hi, I'm Sharon Sanders and I was invited to be on the podcast. And so here I am. You'll have to forgive hey! me. I'm feeling a little bit of trepidation and <laughs> I. Uh, it's just nice to be here. You guys sound pro so professional, you know. And I just well, feel like, oh, I hope I don't, I hope I don't mess up their fancy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I think it'll be fine. I know Kevin and I both have voices and faces for radio, but you're probably an exception to that, which is why you're kind of uncomfortable. We're perfectly comfortable where no one can see us. So we thank you very much for taking time out of your day to be here. Sure. No problem. That's your cue, Terrell. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm Terrell Sanders. Um, I am a former youth minister and uh, a former human resources coordinator for OCPD. I currently work for the Department of Corrections here in Oklahoma. I certainly don't represent them in any way in anything I'm saying today, but um, uh, yeah, uh, that's who I am. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. You guys both have some experience. In, and for our listeners, uh, Terrell and Sharon are married to each other. That's why they share a last name in case any of you were wondering. <laughs> so we're glad that you guys are here. And we have invited them onto the podcast because they've been involved in ministry in the past. And they have also experienced firsthand, unfortunately, some of the less than desirable qualities that some of our Christian brethren express in, in terms of prejudice and prejudicial behavior. So we wanted them here because they have an experience with that and they can lend some good insight into some ways that we can overcome that as the Lord's church. 
So, uh, Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Thank you, Lee. I am uh, thrilled to be here. And uh, my name is Scott Lloyd. I'm a professor of communication studies, and I coach debate at a private uh, Christian university here in Oklahoma. And I'm thrilled uh, to be on the podcast today because this is something that is near and dear to my heart and uh, something that is uh, certainly uh, needed uh, we need to talk about this more, not less. So thank you for having me. Well, we thank you very much for being here. And we ran into some technical issues. Guys, it's, it's to our listeners, it's no small feat that Scott was able to join us. We ran into some major trouble, but we were able to overcome those issues. And we are here now and we are ready to get started. So in discussing this issue of racism, it's one of those things like Kevin and I were saying at the top of the podcast, it's, it's way more prevalent than what it should be. And there's a lot of different directions that we could go with this. And we could spend our time talking about racism within the culture itself, within America itself, but that's not really what we're here to discuss. Racism is a thing that exists within the church itself, unfortunately. And as Christians, we're supposed to be held to a higher standard. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about prejudice and favoritism and things like that. So Kevin, I'll turn it over to you and you can just kind of take the ball and run with it and we'll see where we end up. Well, as a, as a white man growing up in Alabama, you, you can imagine the racism that I experienced and oftentimes didn't even realize it was racism because it was so much a part of our culture. And, you know, I've explained a little bit on, on my Facebook page and, in my blog, some different outlets of how, you know, I was a racist and didn't even realize it. And unfortunately, most people who are racist, they don't even realize it because most people, when they hear the word racist, they get so defensive because they, they think, oh, that means that I'm a part of the KKK or that, you know, I absolutely hate black people. And the way most people even justify or even rationalize some of their racism is they will point to the fact that they have a black friend. And I have jokingly said that usually what that means if a white person says they have a black friend is that they work with a guy who is black that they they might wave to on Fridays at, at their lunch break or something. And it's it's this sense of, well, I'm not a racist because dot, dot, dot. And what I realized even within my own self, the more that I studied this, is that I really didn't have a proper understanding of racism and understanding the difference between overt racism and covert racism. And it's really important to understand that any form of racism is racism. And so, uh, Terrell, I know you and I have talked a little bit about this, and especially here recently, how you and Sharon, oftentimes people have pointed to you guys because you've been the, 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 the mixed couple or the black friends in, in people's lives that people have used to justify even some of their own racism because they say, oh, no, I'm not racist. Terrell and Sharon are my friends, and so therefore I'm not a racist. So kind of just if you will, I would like to first hear from your perspective on that and what you've experienced from that perspective and the difference between overt and covert racism. You know, it's, it's been really interesting lately because with this being such a big issue in America right now, um, we've seen a lot more uh, both on both sides. Uh, you know, We've seen a lot of things that are very encouraging. And we've also seen a lot of things that were very discouraging. And uh, I, I know I, I spoke to you about this uh, last week sometime or week before um, that I kind of got to the point where uh, online on social media, I just kind of want to say, look, you don't, you don't get to claim us as your black friends anymore because a lot of a lot of what is being done is that people 
want to point to one particular person that they know, or often it's not even a person they know, it's a one particular person that they found a video from and say, well, because this one particular person uh, agrees with me or because I know this one particular person who is a person of color, then I can't be racist because I know that person or that person is my friend. So obviously if I like someone who is black or who is uh, another person of color, then I, I certainly can't be racist. And I think that's um, that's one of the things that's been discouraging is hearing that expressed by different people in support, you know, they'll say that and then, then also say racist things that, you know, that support racist ideas. Uh, and it is, it's, it's sometimes discouraging. So, and Sharon, I'd like to hear your perspective too. What are some things, and Scott, you can even jump in here with this question, all, all three of you. What are some things that you have heard white people say that are racist that white people do not think are racist? That w- that we need to point out so that we can better understand and educate it ourselves and as a community on these things so that we can be more self-aware and just do a lot more self-examination and reflection. So what, what are some phrases or some words, you know, I, for example, some of the things that I have heard is, well, you know, you're the whitest black person I know. (laughs) And, and, you know, so what are, what are some things that you guys have, have heard and experienced, especially Terrell and and Sharon, just through your personal experiences and, and Scott being an educator, some of the things that you've, you've experienced with some of your students, perhaps. Uh, I, I have a question. How much time do you, do you have um, for this podcast? How long does it usually go? Oh my goodness. That is such a loaded question. Oh, wow. Well, our last episode was two and a half hours long, but we're not intending to keep you guys here for that long. We're basically going to go until we feel like the conversation's done. So it could be over in 45 minutes. It could be over in a half hour. It could be over tomorrow. Who knows? Well, I, I don't want to ramble. I have a tendency to ramble when I start to feel comfortable. Um, But as I'm sitting here, you know, I, I listened to myself introduce myself. I I listened to Terrell and Scott introduce themselves. And I don't mean to turn your question upside down. So so that's why I was asking. But I sat here and I I experienced um, a rush of adrenaline, you know, as we started this conversation. And what I do for a living is sitting down and talking with people and understanding people and working with groups. So I usually know how to channel that sort of reaction and I, yeah. I sat here for a moment wondering, why is this happening to me? This is so unusual. I couldn't even really introduce myself properly. Um, and I, I had to, to realize and, I, and, and reflect for a moment. And I realized, you know what? I, I don't think I have ever opened myself up to have a conversation like this with um, so many un, non, people of people. Terrell, Terrell is... Um, Native American, but he's, he's Caucasian by culture. You know, I'm, I'm black both by ethnicity and by culture. And I realized I have never had a conversation like this, this open with so many white people before. That <laughs> I, I've never, you know, I've, I've had, I've got very close, close, dear white friends who have known a long time, who I have these sorts of conversations with because who we are um, is so much more of what we, um, experience when we're with each other. We, I'm not, I don't, to use a phrase, we don't see color, but it's just like when I'm with Terrell, I don't see that my husband is a Native American. I know that he is, but he's Terrell. He's the guy who 
oh my goodness, Terrell, could you please put your dishes in the sink? That's who we are, you know? <laughs> Terrell, thank you so much for making me this awesome dinner. It's fantastic. That's that's the closeness of the relationship. It's like a love-based relationship. And that kind of relationship lends itself to a lot of trust and, and basically eliminates any fear. But I don't, I don't know any of you gentlemen very well, um, except for Terrell. And then I know Kevin a little bit. And I really, I really treasure Kevin and Bethany. They're, they're such good friends to have. And I look forward to getting to know them better. But I had to stop and think, why am I unable to just professionally introduce myself? You know, and I backed up and I thought, how would I do this if I was at work? And so you guys are talking and I, I have to admit, I wasn't listening a whole lot because I was trying to examine my own behavior. And there's this question you asked, which is, you know, what are some of the phrases that you've heard um, in, the, in, in church while you're there that are racist phrases? And I can think of some things, but really the experience that I have is, um, and I, I apologize if I have to stop and pause and think about these things out loud, because sometimes parts of life that are so ubiquitous um, you just don't really think about them. If you're in a room with a bunch of people who've never seen the sun and they start asking you, what is sunshine like and what does it do for your world? You're like, oh, well, I take it for granted. So I don't really think about it, but I can stop and verbalize it if you give me a minute. And racism in my life is, is like that. And I recognize that I'm an American citizen and I live in modern day society and that my life, comparatively speaking to all the rest of the humans that have ever lived and are still living, is a good life, you know? Um, but the experience that I've had is something that I'm, I'm even coming to learn myself really affects my behavior, how I see myself. And the thing that I think of that is uh, not overt racism in the church is the lack of believing that racism exists at all. Because when you suffer, yeah. um, and you can't share your suffering. If your suffering is political, then you know you're going to upset people. And you don't want to make people who are in their own home uncomfortable. Like it's impolite to make people in their own home uncomfortable. And churches, uh, it, is, it is a place of worship, but it's also a social club, you know? And this is yeah, a place where yeah. people go to feel comfortable. And I don't want to go there and take my pain and suffering and say, one, I can't even get to the point of, can we do something about it? Would you, if you can't even, you can't recognize it if you don't even believe it's happening, you know? Yeah. And, uh, well, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, please. One of the, the strongest memories in my mind, and I don't know why this one is, is strongest because <laughs> there are several somewhat funny, somewhat off the wall kind of instances, but I remember throughout the, the year, one particular year, several things happened in national news um, that affected people in a church I was attending. And each of those pieces of national news, someone was requesting prayer publicly, openly in the pulpit, you know, saying, we need to pray for these people. We need to pray for these families. And then I remember that a member of the denomination of the church I was attending was shot in his own home, you know, and there was no recognition of it whatsoever. Like, I felt like mentioning it would be taboo, you know? Yeah. And I felt that way because I, I tried to um, talk to my godson, who is white, whom I cherish, about the difference between um, the culture in a white church and a black church. And 
really any ethnic church, a Korean church even. And he said to me, our church is not a white church. And I said, well, if you count myself and the three mixed kids that go there, there are two and a half of us. The culture (laughs) is white. That doesn't even make it a bad thing. I mean, a church that has predominantly black membership is a black church because the culture is black. It means that there are going to be some things that happen during the service and after the service that are specific to the culture. Um, But the idea that the church itself is white is taboo to speak of, you know what I mean? Because no one believes it's a white church. So it's, it's a little odd and it's a little strange. And I don't know why, but I still feel a little nervous talking to you guys about this. Like perhaps you might feel offended, even though I know the purpose of this podcast is to discuss this, you know? Well, for whatever it's worth, and I don't know if this is worth much of anything, but I am incredibly hard to offend. And I can promise you as your brother in Christ, you're my sister in Christ. You are not going to offend me one bit. You can let her fly. And if you, and if you do offend me, well, I'll gladly just let Kevin take over and I'll just take my ball and go home. So no worries there. Um, and but, then uh, get offended. <laughs> Yeah. I'm so offended. Just so much offense. But but Scott, I'm wondering um, what what insight do you have on this? Yeah, Lee, I really appreciate what Sharon had to say. And I think it's so instructive to our conversation for several reasons. Uh, Sharon, thank you for your vulnerability and thank you for sharing that in such a profound and powerful way. What Sharon described um, is what I call Uh, this intrinsic racism that permeates not only American culture, uh, but also the church culture in which we live, right? So she used words like, you know, I'm, I'm, for the first time, I'm feeling comfortable and I'm, I had a rush of adrenaline. Um, I think what she is describing is this feeling that most people of color uh, have expressed to me, and that's this idea that no matter where you go, In American culture, you are expected to conform to this expectation of white majority normative behavior. And so the way that it's been described to me, and you can hear this in Sharon's words, although she didn't use these words specifically, is that you're always aware of what you're saying and how you're behaving and how that impacts the white people around us, right? So even Sharon in that last moment where she was talking to us uh, expressed this saying, you know, I I don't want you guys to be offended. I don't want you to be upset. That is an expression of people of color, color, specifically black people in American culture. That's this idea that they've always got to feel on guard around white people because they are expected to behave and to speak in ways that do not upset the white majority. And that is symptomatic of what happens in America because we have this expectation that white culture is normal and everything else that is brought to the table must conform to that idea or it is excluded. So, you know, uh, you were asking Kevin for examples of racism. I think what Sharon so beautifully expressed there in, in what she had to say is an example of how this goes on all the time. And you use terms like overt and covert. Um, and I think those are helpful, but I think what we need to understand as white people 
that are living in this culture where we have uh, been in a position of power and privilege for so long is that everything we do is seen through the lens of white normative expectations. And this is a burden and this is an expectation that black people in this country have to live with on a daily basis wherever they're at, whatever the institution might be, including the church. And that is why the church has got to wake up and start addressing these issues, because if we don't, we're going to keep excluding our black brothers and sisters, and we may not even do it intentionally, but it is intrinsic to what we expect and what we come to expect in this country. So Sharon, thank you so much for sharing that. That was incredibly helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Well, I think it just goes to show just how all of this is just rooted so subconsciously, Scott, with what you're saying there. It's this idea that this overt, covert, et cetera. I mean, to me, that that's a picture of what systemic racism really is. And that's not to say that there's anything codified in the law. You know, Jim Crow is a thing of the past, but there are certain people that still hold on to those predilections, whether it's subconscious or whether it's overt in their own activity and their own demeanor. People have that and that subconscious mindset is going to promulgate and it's going to perpetuate itself with the way that people choose to interact with one another. Now, Terrell, you have something that, oh, sorry, Scott, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to interject. I think you're exactly right. And I think that's really, really important at this juncture in our conversation to define some terms. And so you used a term, uh, systemic racism, that unfortunately um, is disregarded by a lot of white America. And, and the reason uh, it is dismissed so easily is because as white people, we tend to think of uh, issues of racism as individual acts of prejudice. So, for example, uh, what happened in Minneapolis uh, to George Floyd? We see that murder on television and everybody goes, oh, that's awful. And even people that have pushed back against this idea of racism for a long time are now on board and saying that's bad. But what happens is a lot of people in white America say, well, those were bad cops. Those were individual acts of racism and prejudice that were horrible, and we condemn it. But what is the experience when I listen to my brothers and sisters uh, of color, black people specifically, is that they understand that this is connected to all of our history. So whereas white people look at this and see individual acts of racism and prejudice, Black people look at this and say, no, this is connected to our history as Americans, and it goes deeper than just one act here and there, but it is systemic. And what we mean by that, as you correctly pointed out, is that even though there were laws that were instituted that dismissed the institution of slavery because our country was founded on this idea that black people were less than human. You will remember famously in the Constitution, they were counted as three-fifths of a person. And even though that has changed over time, because the institutions, the institutions of justice, the institutions of education, the economic uh, and judicial institutions, every sphere of society has been permeated with this notion that white is normal and white is right and everything else is expected to conform to that, 
And so because we are white people, we don't notice it. It's like the old question. If you ask a fish, what is water? They're going to go like, I don't know. I've never heard of this thing you talk about. What is water? It's because they swim in it. And so because we as white people um, experience this every day and we, we don't really notice it, it, it kind of, you know, it honors our ideas of what is right and what is true and what is correct. Um, we don't notice it, but black people in this culture notice it every day. And here's how I came face to face with this. And then I'll, I'll let the others chime in. I realized that even though I was raised in the poorest county in America, I grew up in the Mississippi River Delta, Northeast Arkansas. Uh, my family was very poor. But now upon reflection, I understand that because I was white, I received benefits that were not afforded to my black peers. For instance, I have never feared for my life during a routine traffic stop. Black people, specifically black males, report that this is an occurrence. Every time they're pulled over, they wonder, is this going to end with my death? I've never been looked at as a suspect in a, a retail store. I've never been followed around. I've never had somebody cross the street to avoid walking and passing me on the street. But these are things that happen on a daily basis to our black brothers and sisters. And that is a, a, a symptom of this systematic racism that still exists in our culture. So it's very important that we understand as we move forward that we're not just talking about individual acts here and there that we need to correct. This is something that is a part of our culture. And as somebody said earlier, we cannot change what we refuse to acknowledge. And so we've got to acknowledge it in order to change it. Absolutely. I think that's spot on. Now, Terrell, you have a, in a you want to make a yeah. comment. What you got, man? So, you know, I really appreciate what, what Scott was saying there, because I think that's, that's very much uh, what I've seen and experienced. Um, I, the reason I wanted to comment on it was because I think that many people uh, that grew up in, in white culture, which I'm, I'm one of those people. I, um, I am a uh, native American, uh, Hispanic, but I grew up in a white family. I was adopted into a white family. My, my culture growing up was, was white culture. Um, many people that grew up in that culture would kind of automatically take offense to what Scott was saying and kind of what you were saying before that, um, because we feel like um, we're kind of being in, indicted individually whenever someone says that uh, because of, you know, uh, the status of being a white person that you have certain advantages or because... Um, a person is is black or is is another color in our society that there are certain disadvantages and and they want to say well but i'm not i mean i'm not racist i'm not um you know, i don't exhibit those behaviors um and i think specifically in churches at least in most of the churches that i've been involved with there's this idea that because we acknowledge the idea that races are equally valuable, that, that race doesn't exist in Christ, um, that that means that racism doesn't exist within our churches. And, and we, we get a little offended if someone suggests that, that racism exists within our churches, 
when we ourselves do not consider ourselves racist. And, um, and a lot of what uh, Scott was explaining there regarding you know, systemic racism and a lot, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different terminology gets used, you know, systemic and individual or subconscious or conscious racism. Um, it, a lot of what I felt like Sharon was saying and what we've discussed in the past is that when people automatically jump to the defensive because they feel like those ideas don't apply to them personally, it really chills the ability of people who have experienced racism, people who, who because of the color of their skin have been treated in different ways to be able to express that because uh, people are automatically offended. And when people are offended, I mean, for one thing, you can, you kind of almost watch them, uh, freeze up and stop listening yeah they bristle at you yes and, and you know you. like there's a yeah. there's a sense of being unsafe of it being unsafe to discuss that in in that situation and it was i think that's kind of what what sharon was expressing earlier is that it feels i know that in uh one of the churches that we were in previously sharon felt like if she expressed the way she felt about that like for example uh the example she gave that when um you know, one of the the members of our own denomination uh, was shot and killed, um, and then that next week, you know, prayer was being asked for for political um, situations in the country um, that white people in general would be concerned about. But there was not even any mention of that person, even within our own denomination, that had experienced this thing that is so unfortunately common for, for people of color to experience. Um, and, and there was not even a mention of it. Like yeah. the idea that kind of it's, it's okay to talk about um, the things that affect. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to politicize this, right? It's okay to talk about the, the things that affect white people in that congregation but it's not okay to bring up the things that would make those white people uncomfortable. Or and at the very least. That, just not, and talking least, about that specific situation would have made many people uncomfortable in that congregation. Yeah. Because it brings up the politics of race. And that, that in and of itself is a, it is an occurrence of racism within that church. And I think that's what's very hard for people to accept. It's like, well, no one in that congregation is racist, but, which I think is debatable. But, whenever a racist idea or a racist action is being upheld in a situation, then racism is occurring. And that doesn't mean that, that all the people that were sitting in that building at that point are terrible people. It just means that the system of racism that is, that is existing within our society is being upheld in that situation. Yeah. It's in, in that specific situation, it's a sin of omission rather than a sin of commission. You might say, because we're just going to completely ignore this person over here who's supposed to be our brother in Christ. This person's supposed to be a joint heir with us. He is equally valuable in God's sight, but we're not even going to take a moment to mention that this thing happened. And that, I mean, that would certainly communicate that point that you're saying there. Um, Kevin, you got something you want to chime in here with what you got? Yeah. Well, I, First of all, just fantastic comments. I want to let everyone know who's listening to this that we didn't plan anything. We 
I, I jotted down some different notes and questions that I want to cover throughout this uh, podcast. But as far as all the specific stories and things of that nature, this is just all truly conversational. And so I think it was really cool how Sharon opened up and then Scott was able to basically use that in and of itself as a case study, which was awesome. You, you, could, you can tell Scott definitely knows how to communicate and definitely a very skilled debater. But one thing that I wanted to kind of add to that, because it, it is such a brilliant example of the things we're talking about is here Sharon is on this podcast, which we've invited her to come to, you know, we're friends with Sharon, uh, obviously Lee, you're friends with me and we're having this podcast. So through, through me, we're all friends and Sharon opens up and her, her last comment is, I hope I, I hope I didn't offend anybody. I hope I don't offend anybody. And it's, it's sad Sharon to me that the culture, the white culture has created that um, or, or, or created such a environment for when we do discuss these topics and when a black person or, or, or any person of color at all begins to talk about their experiences, there almost has to be a qualifier of, oh, no, I hope I didn't say too much to the white people. And, 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 and I, it's so sad because I've seen that happen where I have been around my white friends and they have black friends and they will say things such as, well, I like, I like this black person, quote unquote, but you have to be careful because if you're, if, if you get into racism or if you start talking too much to them, they're going to start, they're going to start talking about their stories and the things that they've experienced. And so it, it there's no wonder why. Sharon, you feel that way. And, and I personally apologize for that, you know, and, and it's so sad that that's the environment right now in 2020 that people of color live in that to even discuss their personal experiences just among other Christians, there's still a sense of unease. There's a sense of, well, I hope I don't say too much. I hope, you know, there's that one thing I don't say that just pushes this over the edge. And and, you know, I would say push us over the edge. We need to be pushed over the edge. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things Scott mentioned and, and Sharon, you mentioned this, too. And I think, Terrell, you, you brought this up a little bit. It's just the white culture that white people don't think of, as Scott, you put it's if a fish is living in water, it doesn't know it's in water because that's all it knows. We have a white Jesus. We have a white Santa Claus. We have white heroes everything it's it's that's just the way it is i mean when you look at even the disney princesses it wasn't until was it what 2000 and like 6 or 2007 even walt disney created a a a black princess and so you you start to look at this and think huh as a white person i was never affected because this was my culture america was white culture that is america and and that that obviously has come into the church because when you look at most churches, they they talk about how they're not racist, and then you begin to get into specifics. Terrell, you talked about how churches deal with situations that happen, and I spoke with many ministers throughout this, really the past couple of months, uh, about some of these specific situations that have taken place that have really gotten the attention of the public. And most churches to this day will still not use the word racism when describing these events. They'll say, well, 
the unrest in our culture or the, the, the things that are happening throughout our country. They won't actually say the racism <laughs> that is taking place in our country. And the reason why is because in doing that, they are acknowledging these things exist. And if they exist, well, where else do they exist? Do they exist in the church? Oh, well, of course not. They can't exist here. And, you know, the whole idea of, of what I call dismiss or divert when you're talking to someone and either A, it's dismissed because I, I'm, you know, I don't even want to hear what you have to say or B, that there's a, there's a diversion. And when you start talking about racism, you have the, the, the typical white person who will say, well, I'm not a racist. And they will start giving you like 101 reasons why they're not a racist. <laughs> and yeah. this in and of itself shows their insecurity. I mean, that's like talking to a Christian that says, well, I know I'm going to heaven and, and I know I'm going to heaven because I, I love God and, and and I go to church and and I do this and, and, and see, 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 I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. And it's like, whoa, if you really knew you were going to heaven, you, you're kind of showing a little insecurity there. And it's kind of that same way when you start talking to people. Well, I'm not a racist because I, I mean, I work with black people and and I have black friends on Facebook and I like shows that have black people in them and and, and yada yada yada. And so there's this idea of of even among themselves, they're having to divert in their own mind the reality because there's this sense in which you know you brought up Lee that you know I know personally if I'm walking down the street and there is a a, a black person and a white person and they're both wearing the exact same thing, I am going to probably hold my billful a little tighter when the black person is around me. And not because someone sat me down in a class and told me that, it's because that was that is the culture I was raised with. That was just embedded in me. And, and that is, that's what we're trying to get people to see, is if people can remove their sensitivity for just, just a few minutes and begin to listen to people like Sharon, hear her story, just just a sister in Christ, quit politicizing this, quit making it about she's trying to push an agenda. She's not trying to push an agenda other than equality, other than as Christians, we are to love each other equally. And we are, we are to, to seek out true social justice. And, you know, I've even heard Christians dismiss the idea of, of social justice, some even saying, well, that's just kind of the way things are right now, and, and we just need to live within that culture. And it, it is really just breaks my heart. And, you know, as, as we kind of progress here in some of these questions, I, I want to hear really a little bit more from from Terrell and, and both Sharon on this, because I know that I asked you, Sharon, I guess this has been a few weeks ago when I was over at, at y'all's house to be thinking about some stories. And one of the things that you said that has really stuck stuck with me is you said, I'm going to have to sit and think about it. Because I have so many stories. That's just part of my everyday life. It's things that you just have to deal with every single day. So here I am as a white person saying, hey, can you give me some specifics? And you're like, well, I mean, I can just kind of tell you a day in my life. <laughs> because <laughs> because to, to, to white people, these are, I, these are still in our minds, by and large, even myself, just kind of these isolated instances. Like every now and then something might happen to Sharon. But in reality, it's the way you are viewed in, in your totality from the, from the second you walk outside and get in your car and drive to work and work and go to the grocery store, go to the movies, go out on a date, whatever it may be with Terrell, and then come back home that whole time you're living a completely different life. And so, you know, if you guys maybe could just share some of those things. And once again, cause I want to keep this 
as well with the framework within Christianity, because I know you guys have experienced this within Christianity and among Christians, but just what, what are some specifics and what are some things that you have to think about even among other Christians, you know, Scott's already pointed out, even in this conversation, you're thinking, I hope I don't offend them. And so that's something probably me and Lee and Scott haven't thought of, you know. And so what are some things just kind of embedded in this culture that this white culture that 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 we've created and still propagate? Because people say, well, I didn't create it. Yeah, but we're propagating it. And so within that white culture, what are just some things day in and day out that you experience as a black woman that most black women, uh, I'm sorry, most white women are just white people and in and themselves don't even have to think twice about? Uh, well, just, just very casual um, interactions with people are not even something you really take seriously. It's just, you know, part, part of life, um, which is that, and, and this is a little odd, a little strange, because you don't want to speak to somebody like they're a child, but if they say something to you and it seems obvious that the word they're saying is odd, um, you just recognize that there are different people who, who think differently on different levels, I guess. But, you know, there's the, the very basic thing of you walk in and a random person decides to introduce themselves to you and they want to make you feel welcome. So they say, well, you know, I actually know another Black person um, I used to live in California and I knew a black person there. And I want to say like my default reaction is in my head, I roll. I knew another white person too. I actually met them two minutes ago at the front door. <laughs> and my Aunt Judy is white. <laughs> and then I had a teacher who was white one time and now we're really clicking, you know, but as a Christian, <laughs> you put that aside and you recognize this person isn't representative of all the people there. And the, it is common, you know, I'm not going to say it didn't happen. This, this is a regular occurrence. It probably happened to me every couple of weeks or so. But um, as, as Christians, the idea that we're, we're there to serve God and we take little things like that and we put that aside and it's just a normal little thing that happens. <laughs> um, and, and if, if we're speaking about this within a church setting, you know, I'm going to say I, I can't think of a time in particular where somebody did something extremely overt that made me feel singled out or uncomfortable. Um, I have been in classes at time where if somebody mentioned black people, you know, being the only black person in the room, I'm, it's my job to speak on behalf of all black people. And <laughs> I'm not saying that's not fun, but it is, you know, a little, it's, it's, it's just not accurate, you know, regardless of yeah. whether it's fun or not. Um, but I, I can't think of anything where somebody was just downright out, oh, Sharon, I hate black people. Um, I, I see a lot on social media, though, which is very interesting. And I'm going to preface that with a little bit of information. And that is one of the things about being black in American society is that you know that people are afraid of your group. And knowing that people are afraid of you you cannot ever really be certain about whether or not someone truly loves you. So yeah. you're always wondering and you don't want to do anything that is going to make a person who has more power than you have in a situation lash out at you. And I recognize that um, 
my culture is secondary within the white culture of a church, which is not necessarily a bad thing in a predominantly white church, you know, but um, I'm, I don't, I, I don't want to be attacked. I don't want my kids to be attacked and, and confused and wondering what's going on. And so um, I, I can never be certain if, if someone loves me. So I'll see online people who I never really got super close to um, because I feel guarded. You know, it's, it's, I've learned that it's safer just to be on guard than to be open and be attacked. And I've seen lately online, I'm just, I'm so surprised by some of the people who would tell me that they love me, you know, to my face. They would act like they love me. They would do all these things, but I could never be completely sure because sometimes you just don't know a person. And then all of a sudden they would post something and it would be about all black people. I mean, black people and then a phrase. And I want to say to them, I don't know if you realize this, but that includes me. You can put my name in there. You can put my kids' names in there. You can put my mom, my dad, you know, my 90-year-old grandmother. You just dumped her in that bucket. And you don't care that you just said these things about me and all the people I care about. You know what I mean? And yeah. so there's this, this feeling. Again, it's not, it's not like a direct thing. It's just I'm in this place. I'm, I'm with this group. And as a Christian, I want to be able to make progress with people. And so I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I keep my expectations very, very low. <laughs> and I, I trust That's the good, just the human race in general, I That's think. Right. Just keep your- <laughs> you know, I, I, I trust that the Holy Spirit, he works in people's hearts. You know, he works in large groups. He works in individuals. And he can do things that I can't do. And I know that if I am willing to follow Christ's example and take my pain or even my anger, because a lot of people's default reaction, regardless of what color they are when they feel attacked is anger. You know, if I'm willing to put that aside, then maybe I can show somebody some love who may not even realize that they're actually showing hate. And maybe the Holy Spirit can use that to prompt that person and open them up. Maybe some of that is why people are opening up, um, it seems like now at this time in our society, maybe we've got enough people who are finally starting to do enough prompting and the Holy Spirit is using that. But uh, it, it would be nice to be able to go to a church um, and it doesn't matter what kind of church it is and to be able to trust that I can love people there. I can openly love them. You know what I mean? Like the love would be returned. I want to say a couple things um, in regards to that, because I think, um, and just kind of from what Sharon just expressed that she works very hard to keep her attitude um, positive um, about these issues. And, and she's been forced just because um, she's married to me and I've been a minister uh, during the time that we've been married. Uh, and she was gracious enough to allow me to take the lead in our uh basically the location of our spiritual lives, you know, she has gone to the churches um, that I'm associated with um, and has been put into, into those situations because of that. So she's worked very hard to keep a positive attitude about it. And I would, I would say that honestly, probably I have been offended for her more times than she has been, um, Outwardly offended, but you know, a lot of that is because it's not okay for her to be offended in those situations. And if she expressed the hurt or anger that she feels based on what someone has said, 
then she knows that it would not be acceptable. It would be attacked. Um, and while they might not do it in person to her, um, we know from what people have said, um, both in person and, and in other situations, like, like in social media, that they would, they would look at her and look at our family in a different light because of, of her defensiveness or because of her anger or her sadness or her, um, emotions about what, what's happening. So I, I've seen Sharon many times, um, looked at as if to provide the sole voice for the entirety of black people in America um, in discussions at a church. Um, <clears throat> it's like I've seen people um, start to say something, then see that Sharon's in the room and then feel like they have to change what they're going to say because there's a black person present. Um, I've seen people, um, and I'm not even saying this is necessarily a bad thing, but it's an uncomfortable thing to have people basically apologize to Sharon on behalf of the entire white race as if she represents the entire black race. You know? <laughs> um, I've seen, uh, and, and then there have been some other things that are even to me a lot more offensive. Uh, Sharon has had uh, a person walk up to her and basically tell her that they're very attracted to black women um, <laughs> in a church. Right. And, oh, I mean, yeah. Which I mean is both, <laughs> you know, creepy and racist at the same time, because it's like, I mean, what are they trying to, are you trying to say that, like, are you trying to confirm your not racist status because you, you know, are creeping on this married woman? Hey, Terrell, did you but, mind if I just... I'm laughing. That's an uncomfortable laugh. Just, yeah, just, go ahead. I want to point out that some of these things, they're part of the experience, but they're not necessarily nobody is trying to be racist to me necessarily. Like the person who told me they were attracted to black women. I, I don't know what that's all about, but you know, somebody who comes up to me and they're just, they're, they honestly ask a question, you know, well, how come you get a black history month and I don't get a white history month. And you know, you want to say every month is white history month. Really technically <laughs> yeah. even February is white history month, but you know, I, I just don't, it's just part of the experience. Well, Sharon, I, I actually, I think that's actually a, a good question because I, I honestly don't know who all is listening to our podcast. Um, and, you know, so far we've been got, getting quite a few downloads. We've only been been doing it now for, I think this is our second or third month. But s some of those are common, honest questions. They really right. are honest questions. And so I will hear people say, well, why do, why do black people get a Black History Month? Why do black people get specific awards? You know, why, why is there a black television network? And, and you'll see these different memes going around, even by Christians who, well, if there was a white television network, if there was a white uh, history month, if there was if there was this, if there was that, you know, the 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 the, the black people would be all upset about that. So how how I would like to get, you know, your input and Scott, I would like for you to chime in you know on this as well. Just how do you deal with. And I'm talking about people who are honestly asking. I'm not talking about the, the antagonists out there who are just trying to make a point because those certainly do exist. But I'm talking about those who genuinely are, are listening to this and they're saying, yeah, that, that is something I've always wondered. So how, how do you respond to something like that? How, how should and, a white person understand that? And before, you, and before you respond, I just have a little qualifier here. And Kevin and I realize that you don't speak on behalf of all black people. <laughs> So I just want to make sure. Sharon, Sharon as representative of the black race, can you please answer this question? 
of every single black person who's ever lived, you know. <laughs> I, I will currently represent the entire black <laughs> ethnic group as well as all women while I'm here. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's awesome. That's a twofer right there. Um, uh, but yeah, if y'all can just just kind of provide some some commentary and you know the the average white person asked that question what's what's the what's what is the res- what should the response be and how should they understand that properly well the the right thing for me to do <laughs> would probably be to, to calmly put the the rush of emotions aside because the first thing you feel when you when you hear a question that sounds like it's not thoughtful or considerate from your perspective, from your personal lens, is of course the big internal eye roll and who I am as a person. Um, well, personal personal struggles is sarcasm, you know, and the, the immediate sarcastic response comes up. So I I should repress that. I'm not going to say that I always do. In fact, I I usually do, but I did get in a, a tiff with someone online not too long ago who turns out to be my friend. Now we worked it out, <laughs> but uh, well, good. Um, I, I haven't had recently just because I've been trying to, to stay off of the internet and because of the COVID situation that that's got us being less social, I haven't had this happen to me um, very often recently, but generally speaking, I try to use a metaphor to get people to kind of understand the position. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm just not very good with metaphors. I'm getting better I'll, Terrell, I feel like I cut you off earlier, so I want to apologize for that. But you didn't. Did, was that a metaphor? <laughs> was <that> a metaphor. <laughs> metaphor for my life. I have a cousin who called me the other day. Um, Lisa, my cousin, is her father's from Nigeria, and her mother is black. She's my mom's sister, and she works at PayPal. And she said that what has happened there recently, they've, they've got a huge initiative right now. They're just pouring lots of money into um, anything that's sort of advancing the cause of um, Black Lives Matter, really, right at the moment. And she said that their uh, company had a meeting that was started by just somebody in the company, just a random person. But they were they were honestly trying to to help and to understand. And they sent out... A, a teams meeting to all of the black people in the division. And it just says, you know, we're here, we're listening. If you're struggling, we're here for you. And Lisa said, well, you know, Sharon, it's, it's our whole lives. So I don't really know exactly what they're looking for. And I said, <laughs> yeah. And she said, and I got a, a call um, from a woman from church that she went to church with about 20 years ago, who she didn't really know very well. But the woman wanted to reach out to her and said, um, I just want you to know I'm here for you, Lisa. And Lisa writes back and or she says back to her. I can't remember if it was an email or call. And she says, well, Denise, I, I appreciate you. Um, I don't know what it is you're looking for necessarily. We never really knew each other. Is there something going on? Do you feel the need to, to reach out for me? And she basically started a dialogue with this woman that sounded therapeutic where the woman started opening up about her personal thoughts and her personal experiences. And Lisa, she puts aside her, her own feelings about the situation, you know, to go ahead and help somebody who is her Christian sister walk through thoughts they had never had before about what's going on in society, you know? And she asked her, well, you know, have you ever considered that you've had these particular advantages that 
somebody else may not have had? Or have you considered that your perspective may not necessarily be as wide as someone else's perspective and that together you have a wider perspective? So I learned a lot from her and just the way she's been handling corporate emails and church emails and conversations with neighbors and things like that. So I'm hoping that I can be more like her. Um, And that's where I am right now. Hopefully it'll get better. Hey, with that kind of attitude, it has no choice but to get better. You just keep doing the best you can with what you have to be the best Christian you can be. And that will reap much fruit and many good things. I don't see how it can go any other way. Scott, what are your thoughts on the thread of conversation as it's going along here? Yeah, unlike Sharon, I've never met a four I didn't like. You'll get that on the way home. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, I do this for a living, ladies and gentlemen. Don't try this at home. Uh, uh, Sharon is so articulate and so uh, beautiful in stating exactly what is happening. There's not much that I can add to that. So what I'll try to do is speak to the white perspective. And so to your friends of color, if you are white, do not ask them why there is a black entertainment television network. Do not ask them why there is a, uh, a Black History Month. Um, there's this wonderful thing called the Internet, and it's called Google. And if, if you're asking your Black friend these types of questions, you're probably racist, and that should be your first clue. So don't ask them those kinds of questions. If you really want, uh, if you're sincere about this, sit down with your brothers and sisters in Christ that are black and say, look, I just want you to tell me about your experiences. And when they tell you about their experiences in America, do not dismiss those experiences. Do not excuse those um, experiences as something else. Because typically what white people will do is they'll say, well, they didn't mean that. Uh, you were mistaken. You're reading too much into that. It probably wasn't racism. You're just being too sensitive. Don't say those kinds of things to your black brothers and sisters in Christ, but listen to them, right? We do things with racism that we wouldn't do with anything else. If my friend came to me and said, hey, Scott, um, you stink. You need to take a shower. I, you know, I might be like, oh, I stink. I I need to do something about this. But somebody comes to me and says, hey, Scott, you're racist. What you just did was racist. Then I come up with all of these excuses and all of these reasons why I'm not what they just said that I was. And as white people, we've got to come to terms with the fact that we continue to perpetuate and we continue to benefit from a system that favors our skin color. And so until we come to, to and bring that to task, that uh, we have residual racism, whether it's overt or covert, because here's what white people do. When we hear from our black brothers and sisters in Christ, and they use a term like racism, immediately we think about folks that are wearing uh, white robes and pointed hoods. We think about the KKK. We don't think about the everyday actions that we participate in that perpetuate this racism within the church. 
And so if we're really sincere, so Kevin, to answer your question, if that person is really sincere and they really want to know these things, the best thing they can do is find a black person and say, look, I have benefited from this system of racism. I know that there is racism in my heart. I want to correct that. So can you help me just share with me your experiences and then shut up and listen to what they have to say and then make corrections going forward. Black people in this country aren't asking for white people to apologize. They're not asking for white people to make symbolic overtures. You know, a lot of times uh, white people in churches they get all symbolic and weird. They start washing people's feet or they have, uh, you know, these big ceremonies where we, we apologize for all of the racism of the past and then they move on. Look, this is 400 years that we're talking about. We're not going to solve it with a symbolic gesture and we're not going to get over it overnight. We've got to be willing as white people and white culture to put in the hard work of dismantling this system if we're really serious about eradicating this in our country, and it should start with the church. It absolutely should start with the church. And what I wonder, Scott, and you might have some insight on this, and maybe Kevin or Terrell or Sharon might have some input too. It seems to me that the first step starts with realizing that propensity in and of, you know, that, that exists within ourselves. The idea that I could possibly be a racist is not something that anybody wants to consider overall. It's not something that anyone wants to, it's not a thought anyone wants to entertain. But whenever you think about your behaviors, those covert behaviors or those subconscious cues or subconscious responses to either things that are, you know, in to some of the things that, that you notice in black culture or in Hispanic culture or in other cultures that are not your own, that xenophobia that may exist or that egocentrism within your own self that, well, I don't think I don't hate anyone who's black because of the color of their skin, but you still tend to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You still tend to place other people's cultures on a lower level than your own. You still tend to look down upon people because they engage within their own culture. And I, I guess you call it xenophobia. I guess that's a word for it, but it seems like that the step to reconciling that and solving that issue is recognizing that that propensity may exist within yourself and being willing to move past that. So how do we get to a point where we can begin to examine ourselves and help our brethren examine themselves to that end? Yeah. Because it I seems think, like that's the biggest challenge. Right. And I think you're exactly right. Um, this idea of self-reflection and really, if you think about it, Lee, um, this should be a slam dunk for Christianity, right? Because we preach that there is sin in us. We are sinners by birth, if you go to the doctrine of original sin, and by choice. So not only by our nature, but also by our habits, we uh, know that we are sinners. But yet when the, when the sin of racism is brought up, all of a sudden... We are as pure as the wind-driven snow. We don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to address that particular sin in our hearts. So you're exactly right. The first thing we've got to do is become self-aware and self-reflective and understand that we all have blind spots. 
And so if I'm backing my automobile out of the driveway, we all know this by experience, even if I check all of my mirrors, there are blind spots that I may not see the trash can, right, sitting in the driveway, and I'll hit it. And so if somebody is out there and they're able to see that trash can, they're able to wave and, hey, hey, Scott, stop. You're going to hit the trash can. You're going to knock it over. You're going to damage the vehicle. I don't jump out and yell and scream at them and say, how dare you accuse me of having a blind spot? I thank them because I understand there are things about myself that I am unable to see. So in the same way, we've got to be open to reflecting upon our own biases and acknowledging that we have them, especially when it comes to people of color in this country for all of the reasons that we've already articulated uh, on this podcast that we've already shared, right? The idea that this nation was founded upon the idea that white people were superior to black people. And it's important to go back and to look at our history, to acknowledge what happened from our founding, and to know that 400 years of that happening is not going to be undone with just a sermon. It's not going to be undone with just one symbolic act, but it's going to take deep self-reflection and and a lifetime of reflection if you're white and you are an American. So you've got to start there. Terrell, what you got, man? I just want to kind of say in conjunction with that, because I, I, I certainly agree with, with, with Scott about that. Um, I think there is an, another layer to it as well. Um, and that is that um, I think a lot of the reaction that people have, the thing that makes it very difficult to process this information if you grew up in white culture, um, is that it, it feels very accusatory. And you feel like you're being asked to apologize for things that that you didn't personally do. Um, and you know, Scott brings up the blind spot, and I think that's huge. But it, it's very difficult to identify your own blind spots, specifically because you don't see them, right? You're, they are your blind spot. And I, I think one of the things that has helped me recognize some of these blind spots in my own uh, in my own thinking. Uh, again, with understanding, and, and I'll try to be very brief with this, but um, I grew up with a lot of the same beliefs that um, that are being expressed by many uh, people today who are who are antagonistic towards the Black Lives Matter movement or toward racial uh, justice uh, in 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 general. Um, I grew up believing that uh, reverse racism was a, a real threat in America. You know, I, I grew up uh, believing that um, uh, uh, that social programs designed to help black people um, attain a, a better social standing were, were inherently racist in and of themselves. I, I grew up being uh, inundated with, with culture that taught me that um, people could individually lift themselves out of poverty or, or their situations and that race had nothing to do with it. So whenever I started to be exposed to, um, or, or in 2010, when I, when I married Sharon, and all of a sudden I was put into this um, black culture. And, and I had worked out a lot of those things by then, okay? Um, but whenever I got put into black culture in a very sudden uh, way, um, I had to, it was very, it was very difficult for me 
um, within myself to start to confront some of those prejudices that I still held. It was, it was very painful, very painful to confront some of those things because, and in my situation, in my personal circumstance, it was beginning to really hear the stories of the, the people on the black side of my family on, on Sharon's side of the family and beginning to understand that these weren't, you know, uh, occasional events that racism was just something that happened to a few people every once in a while. Um, that it was this, you know, every single person in this family had stories that of things that happened to them on a regular basis that that were to me horrifying, and I really didn't want to believe that those things really happened. That it, that they happened often. Uh, that it wasn't new. That it was ongoing. And one of the things that really helped me begin to accept that is understanding that that racism it, it's not a fixed identity. It's not like, okay, you're either a racist and you'll always be racist or you're not, um, or you're anti-racist and you'll always be anti-racist or not. Um, it's not a fixed identity. There are ideas that I have held and probably still ideas that I hold that are racist ideas. And, and what I mean by saying it's a racist idea is that it's an, it's an idea that upholds racial inequality in, in my sphere, okay? So it's an idea that, that upholds the, the current system um, that, that prevents people of color from having the equal opportunity uh, that other people in the society have. A, a racist action is, an, is a particular action I take that upholds the uh, system of inequality that's in our nation. So that doesn't mean that I, as a person, am permanently racist, but it does mean that I have ideas that are racist and I sometimes take actions that are racist. And whenever I'm able to kind of divorce that from being like my identity, it's like, Oh, I'm just a racist. I'm a, I'm, I'm a terrible person. You know, I, I'm irredeemable. It's not about that. It's about your ideas and your actions and your ideas and your actions can and will change over time. I mean, the same way that we as Christians, we don't suddenly conquer all of our sin. You know, at the moment of baptism, we don't just become these angelic creatures that never do anything wrong again. Um, we have to confront our individual um, actions and ideas that hold us within, you know, the realm of sin and gradually over time confront those and identify them and, and overcome them with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I think being able to separate, you know, it's like I, I can't look at a person and say, um, you know, you're just racist and I can dismiss you because of that. Um, if I do that, that person is going to immediately become defensive. It's going to be very difficult for them to, to learn or, or accept anything because I've identified them as being a bad person. But if I can separate that and say, look, this particular idea you're holding or this particular action you've taken, it, it contributes to racism in our, in our context it contributes to racism in our church. It contributes to racism in, in our society. Then I'm not correcting the person. I'm not, I'm not putting the person down. I'm helping them identify specific ideas and actions that, that are, you know, contributing to it. So I think that that helped me because it helped me uh, not feel like I was being personally attacked, but that I was, I was just trying to change my behavior and ideas in regards to racism in the same way that I changed my behavior ideas in regards to anything else. 
Well, I think there's a lot of merit to that idea and I, and that's brilliant. And in dealing with people you learn, and I think you said you've worked in human resources that, <clears throat> excuse me, that can be a really effective strategy to get people to look at things without feeling threatened. You know, if you tell someone, why are you such a racist? Well, they're naturally going to bristle just like what you were saying. But if you say, Hey, you know, that, that statement that you made a while back, what was the story behind that? And you just start to talk about maybe what they said and you kind of can lead them through a Socratic approach. And that's a really effective strategy. Now, Kevin, I know you've got something that you want to add to this. So what, what are your thoughts so far? When I was preaching at a, at a congregation, which I've preached at, I've, I've specifically spoken at over 200 different congregations and Every single one of them, it's it's interesting looking back because I have grown, I have learned, I have changed, I have transformed in so many different ways, and and God has done that through me, uh, or God has used so many things to 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 allow me to change, and He has allowed me to experience certain things, and even things, even lessons I didn't realize I was being taught at the moment. I can look back and realize that hey, that's something that now I've I realize I've learned through that, and going to all these different different churches. One of the things that I I noticed is just how how much racism is just deep seated. It's embedded in so many people. And as Terrell was talking, there was a guy that came to my mind at one of these these churches I spoke at, and we were actually talking about the Black Panther movie when it came out back in I believe it was 2018. And and I'm a big Marvel fan, and I you know me and Bethany we always go to the to the movies as soon as they come out, and we're usually try to go the midnight showing or whatever the night before. And so we went and saw it, you know, fantastic movie. It was a great movie. And, and I was talking to him about that. And he said, well, he said, yeah, he said, I had a friend of mine at church who said it was too black. <laughs> what? And, are you serious? As a Marvel <laughs> nerd, that just goes all over me. It's like, are you serious? It's a country in Africa. Yeah. He's, on, yeah he's, he's, he said, I think it's too black. And, and I just asked him, I said, well, what exactly do you mean by that? And he started stumbling around. He goes, well, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, you know, it's just too black. And, and I said, well, you know, what, what, what do you mean? You know, I said, I said, I said, I think it's a great movie. I said, what, what, you know, he goes, well, you know, you know what I mean? No, no, I don't know what you mean by that. And we, you know, it wasn't, we weren't, you know, I wasn't saying these things antagonistically. He wasn't at all. It was just, he just made this offhanded comment and he himself didn't really even know what, what he meant other than it didn't portray white culture. That, I mean, ultimately, that's what he was he was asking. Did it portray white culture? Well, no, <laughs> of course not. It's it, it's it's not America, you know, and <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you look at just some of those questions and, and one congregation I was at, they refused to hire a, a man because of the color of his wife's skin. And they had multiple black people at their congregation, which this just really, really blew me away when I, when I actually talked to this eldership about this. And they said, well, they said, you know, we believe in, in having, having both white and black and, and people of all color here at our, our church. And, and they're welcome here, just not in the leadership, just not in the leadership. And, wow. you know, when, when you begin to, to hear those types of things, you realize, whoa, like th this is legit racism. <laughs> I mean, this is like, this is, this, wow, you know, and, and, and this, these types of things really opened up my eyes. And, you know, Scott, going back to what you were saying, when people say, well, why did, why is there Black History Month and things like this? And, and, and those were, those were questions that I honestly, uh, regrettably used to ask. And, you know, what, what I realized is, and one of the illustrations that I use is, 
my mother, she, she was diagnosed with leukemia about a year ago and thank God she's in remission now. And so I'm definitely, we're definitely thankful for that. But I learned that there are different types of, of cancer, a lot of different types of, of cancer, but most, most women typically um, are known for breast cancer, you know, so like people just automatically assumed that, uh, that my mother had breast cancer because they hear that a, a woman in their 60s has cancer. Oh, you know, it must be breast cancer. And, uh, you know, no, no, she has leukemia. Oh, well, I thought that's only what, what children got, you know, and, and, and you, you start, I thought, hmm, this is interesting, you know, just all the presuppositions people bring to the table. But there are certain months that are dedicated to specific types of cancer. And I have never heard anybody ask my mother, why is there a leukemia? Why is there a month dedicated to just leukemia? Don't, don't you know there's other cancers out there? Don't, don't you know that all cancers matter? Why, why is there a month just dedicated to, to, to one type of cancer? Nobody's asking those questions. Nobody's going to the, the leukemia rallies for, for, for walking, you know, in, in, in these different relays they're having and saying, no, 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 we, we, we can't stand this because my grandmother has breast cancer and you guys need to start giving more attention to breast cancer. They, they understand the framework of that is, is, is dedicating a, you're, you're taking something specific and you're dedicating that month or that day or that week or whatever, specifically to draw attention to that one thing, because otherwise it hasn't been given its due attention. I mean, we even think about this with Father's Day, Mother's Day. Nobody goes up to, to fathers on Father's Day and say, well, you know what? Um, I, I think that, that, that we should go ahead and just celebrate. I know mothers have their day, but I think today should be their day too. All parents so, matter, you know. Yeah. So, so, so what you have is, 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 is Sharon pull, you know, Sharon jokingly said this, but it's true. Every single month is what is white history month every single month. And, and people don't even realize that people don't even get that because, because it's so ingrained, it's so embedded in them. Anything that is black, anything that is different than their white culture, it seems to them, because their culture is nothing but white, it seems like, oh, now black people are getting more than we're getting. Oh, now there's a, a black. I remember people when, when uh, Tiana was was introduced as a Disney princess, which, by the way, I think it was 2006. I think I misquoted that earlier. I know my Disney almost as well as I know my Bible. <laughs> and I'm a big Disney fan. And so, but people were people were saying, oh, look, now Disney's just caving. Can you believe they're they're making a, a, a black princess? Oh, my goodness. Can you believe this? And it's like, do you not realize Disney has like a thousand other princesses and they're all white? You know, got Pocahontas thrown in there, you know, of course, and in Mulan, but she's not really a princess, but you don't have a single black princess until 2006. And then when you do, people are upset about it. And so, so to me, those are the things, like Scott said, do your research, do your own research on this stuff, because these, these are questions before you ask a question, think about that question for a moment. And instead of allowing media to answer that question for you or someone else, do your own research. And as, as Scott said, talk to your own brothers and sisters in Christ who you know. And if you're white, you may be sitting there thinking, I don't know of any black brothers or sisters in Christ. That's problem number one. Ding, 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 ding. You know, so exactly. I... I so uh, so anyway, now Scott, I want to kind of kind of talk now to this last um, last few minutes here about solutions because you posted an article that you wrote about your experience with with one of your friends and really a lot of the regrets that you have. Who he has now passed away, and, and he was a, a black man, 
And I, I just want you to kind of share a little bit of, of that story, what, what kind of transpired and, and what you're doing now as, as, uh, as part of the solution. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. And, and so on, I, th- I think it was June 11th, um, I, I woke up and, and this was, uh, the, the country was in the throes of the, the protest in response to uh, the murder of George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and, and on and on and on the list goes, right? And so there were daily uh, protests in uh, every major American city. And so I woke up and I was thinking about my friend. Uh, his name was Roy, and uh, we uh, shared a, a, a profound moment of our youth together. He was uh, he came to our church via a bus ministry, and um, he was one of these kids that that sort of stayed. And he and I became friends. We were genuine friends. Um, but as we became adults, we drifted away. He he joined the military. Uh, I got married, went into to the ministry, and um, we drifted away. But I, I started reflecting on my friend Roy and those moments that we had together, and and what I had learned about the black experience in America since then. And what I tried to do is I tried to, I tried to craft a letter and it really was just a a flow of consciousness. And there were, there were bits and pieces of it, pieces of it that were clumsy, um, that were that, you know, if, if I had it to do over again, I would word differently. Uh, but it really was sincere and it just kind of flowed out of, out of me. And I, I tried to express to my friend Roy, that now as an adult, I understand how difficult it was for you. It must have been to navigate my white world. So I, I opened it with saying things like, you know, I never, I never stayed at your house, but you always stayed at mine. I never, I never visited your culture and your family, but you were expected to be a part of mine and you were expected to act a certain way and uh, speak a certain way. And I reminisced about, you know, I remember having people pat me on the back and saying, oh, it's so awesome that you have befriended this black boy. And, and, and they wouldn't even, even acknowledge that he was standing there. And so, you know, they, they would say these things to me, but they wouldn't even acknowledge his presence. And, you know, it, it was okay for him to come to our church as long as he never dared uh, attempt to date any of our young white girls. And so I expressed this in a letter. Um, and most of the things that I write and that I post to my blog, um, you know, they, they get a couple of hundred views, maybe if it's a good one. Um, but I noticed that this was really receiving traction. And I went to sleep on, I, I posted it on Tuesday, went to sleep on Friday. And I noticed, hey, I'm getting a lot of hits on this it was up to 1600 and then over the weekend it really blew up and it surpassed a million and i thought well that's really incredible and to date um, it's received over 2. Point, uh, close to 2.5 million views and I, I the the expressions of thanksgiving from people of color black people specifically that are about my age i'm 49 that grew up in that time uh, they just over and over again, they tell me these stories about how what I described Roy's experience being resonated with their experience. And um, as a result, um, there has been um, an animator reached out to me 
uh, and it's heroesofcolor.com, and you can check out their professional work, and they're wanting to turn uh, what I wrote about Roy uh, into an animated short, and we're going to use that to launch a, a, um, a scholarship fund uh, in Roy's name that's going to be awarded to students of color because I want to honor Roy and I want to honor his voice and I want to elevate his voice. And, and one of the critiques, one of the valid critiques that I received uh, about the letter is that it, it sort of uh, centered my voice and it was more about me, even though that wasn't the intention. Now upon reflection, I can see that. Um, but uh, Lee mentioned that he's going to post the the uh, the blog piece uh, in the show notes, and I want people to go and read that and share it. And and in in that blog post, there's a link if if you feel so led, if you'd like to donate to getting this film made, so we can launch this scholarship. I'd really appreciate that because I want Roy's voice to be elevated. Unfortunately, he died of um, a brain tumor in his. I, I can't remember exactly if it was his late 20s or early 30s, but much, much too young. And this is the this is what I should have said during our time together. This these are the words that I, I wish I would have had the capacity to articulate to him when he was alive, but I, I didn't do so. And and that's my failing. Uh, and that's part of our culture as, as white people. That's our failing. Uh, because we thought we knew better than Roy. We thought we were saving him. You know, we, we told him all about our church and our history and, and our white Jesus, when in fact, Jesus probably looked a whole lot more like Roy than, than he did like me. But as, as white people, we wouldn't tell black people that because that would give them some, some sort of power over us. And we had to maintain our position of privilege. So, Thank you for, for giving me this opportunity to speak about my friend Roy. Please read the blog post. Share it if you're so inclined. And if you'd like to donate to, to getting this film made so that we can launch this scholarship, uh, I, I really want to honor my friend Roy in this way. Yeah, we'll have that link down in the show notes. So those of you that are listening, if you want to check it out, it's an excellent post. It's very well written. And it's thought provoking. And we'll also have a direct link in the show notes as well to that donation page. So if you do feel so inclined, we'd invite you to do so. Thank um, you, Terrell, what are your thoughts? You got something you want to share with us now? Yeah. Um, I, I know we're trying to wrap this up. And so I, I want to kind of um, want to express uh, you know, what Scott said and what Scott is doing um, through that post and this opportunity that he's been given to use his voice to to make an, an actual difference in this conversation in in what's going on in our society right now and what's going on in our churches um, that to me is one of the most important takeaways from any conversation about race about what's going on in our country and in our churches is that it's not about and I don't want to be insensitive but this is what I keep wanting to say to people recently, and even to I had to say to myself to some degree, is it's not about how you feel. Like, yeah, I want people to individually come to grasp um, with their own racist ideas and racist actions, and come to grips with those and and change them. I think that's important. Like, it's that's personally important. 
Um, but I don't, I don't need people to feel guilty. I don't need people to, um, to feel individual sorrow for, for something that has happened. What we really need is for people to use the power that they do have, whether that power is, has been given to you by, uh, by your whiteness, the, the fact that you have a stronger voice in our society than a person of color does, or whether that's an individual platform you have uh, just because of the job you have or the position you have or whatever it is that, that gives you some level of power. And we all have some level of power. Um, what we need is for people to use that level of power that they have to actually try to, to change something to actually take actions that, that make a difference. And you know, what Scott's doing here with this, this moment that he's been given where he has this much larger platform than he or, or someone else might normally have to take that and not to say, well, you know, it's great that people uh, are listening to me. It's great that people uh, hear my sorrow over something I've done in the past. Um, not just taking that and saying, okay, well, Hey, Obviously, I'm not racist. You know, isn't that great? Everyone knows I'm not racist now. He's taking <laughs> that and he's converting it into an action that will actually help some people in the future. And that's really what we need to see. And when, when we're talking about racism in the church, I don't need elders to feel guilty. I don't need church leaders to feel guilty about it. But what I'd love to see is church leaders taking actions that begin to, to change the fact that the church is still, as as Martin Luther King Jr. said, that the most segregated hour in the uh, in the nation, and 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 make some changes on that. And and here's what I keep running into, and this is this was so frustrating to me in my last ministry job, and 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 it still frustrates me when I try to contemplate how it could be done, but people don't tend to do things that are going to cost them significantly. And racism in the church and in society, it's a disease, it's a cancer. And when you get treated for a disease, that treatment is rarely pleasant. And anyone who has experienced cancer and had to go through chemotherapy or radiation understands that the treatment is painful. And if we're going to make changes in our churches, to overcome this disease that is within our churches and within our society, it's going to be painful and it's going to cost us something. And I, I hear people saying things like, and, and I've, I've been guilty of, of expressing these types of things that, well, you know, uh, the people in the black churches, they, you know, they're comfortable with their, with their uh, culture of worship, with their culture of church. And we're comfortable with our culture of worship and our comfortable uh, our culture of church. You know, maybe we can just toss some money at it. You know, maybe we can just uh, maybe we can just acknowledge that we love them now. And what they want to do, what we as I think as people intrinsically want to do, is do something that doesn't cost us anything. Going or giving up something that we have, giving up our comfortable environment giving up our our comfort zone that we create around ourselves and actually being willing to reach out and experience something that is uncomfortable in order to make a difference. 
I think that's what's going to have to happen in order for any real change to occur. And I, I posted on, on someone's, some conversation that would happen on, on Facebook. I think it might've been something that Kevin posted. Um, that He's a troublemaker. So I am. <laughs> I'm kind of, I've become one recently because of, because of what I've been seeing is that why would it be so such a terrible thing? Uh, again, understand I grew up in white culture, right? I, my church culture was white culture to say, you know what? We're going to give up that comfort of our worship culture and go be uncomfortable within the black worship culture for a while so that we can understand it better so that they can see that we're willing to give up something ourselves in order to be, to be truly unified with them, to really have unity with them. Um, instead of demanding that they come and make themselves uncomfortable in our culture, that didn't cost us anything. And I really, to me, that that's really one of the huge things that that's been on my mind and in my passion recently is trying to think of how we can do things that actually make a difference um, and how we address that cost that it's going to, to take in order for us to do that. Well, it's not going to be easy. That's for certain. It's, it's going to take a lot of work for everybody. And to me, it's, it's really similar to how we address any sin. I mean, anytime we examine ourselves and we see a shortcoming or we see sin in our own lives, it's uncomfortable to acknowledge that. You know, I look at some of the things that even after becoming a Christian, and learning more about the scriptures and being called upon to teach. I look at some of the things that I used to teach and how wrongheaded they were. And I cringe at those things and we're always learning. We're always growing, but ignoring the issue isn't going to fix the issue. Recognizing that this is a part of it doesn't mean we have to feel guilty about it and self-flagellate over it, but it's certainly the first step towards finding a resolution. I think that Terrell, your idea and what you proposed of, of people going and visiting these congregations and worshiping in churches that, you know, don't share the same worship culture that we do as it relates to a black church, white church or whatever else. That's a really good first start. Sharon, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think that is really incredible to the idea that someone would give up their worship culture in order to reach out as a Christian brother or sister. And I think for a lot of people, that would be just an enormous step. And it could be a first step. But I think for some people, and I'm, I'm thinking the other way around, too. Um, I, I recall, I read the message version of the Bible, and I recall Jesus saying, you know, before you feel like you have to go out and change the whole world, go ahead and, and get started by just giving a thirsty person a glass of water. And I think maybe something simple um, might be helpful. I had a coworker the other day who told me that her teenage daughter accused her of being white. Her whole family is white. But I thought, <laughs> what a horrible accusation. I mean, her, her daughter threw that at her like it was a slur or something. You know, and I thought this is really sad that in our society we have some young people who don't have pride in their own culture. And when you come from um, certain other cultures in the world, acknowledging your culture is 
is a huge part of the experience. Black people talk about being black all the time. It's one of our favorite things to do. Talk about the black experience. <laughs> Just like, um, you know, I, I'll hang out with my Latino friends or I did back in high school when I had more of them. And that was just a big part of, of the culture, you know, just talking about Latinos and the range is from all the good things about the culture to all the worst things about the culture and everything in between. But you knew what your culture was and you knew your cultural history. And I feel like sometimes people are uncomfortable with calling themselves white or acknowledging that white culture exists. It's like what was referred to earlier and that a fish swims in water but doesn't know that water is real. And I sit down with my children and I talk to them about my culture, especially because my children don't see black people. Like because we live in Oklahoma, my family is mostly in Kansas. And so they see my family very rarely and they'll see any black woman at the store and say, she looks like mom. So they just don't get a whole lot of exposure. So I sit down and I talk to them about different cultures and different ethnicities. And I want them to know that people are individuals and that cultures have a range of behaviors that are associated with the cultures that aren't associated with every individual, but are associated with the culture, and that not all of the behaviors are bad and not all the behaviors are good, you know, but that cultural diversity is a good thing and you can be proud to be what you are. And I felt like my friend's daughter didn't have any pride in her culture, you know, I felt like what the message she was getting didn't come from her mom about her culture. And I feel like maybe a first step before you can get somebody out of their comfort zone of worship, because man, it seems hard to get people to go, go out of that comfort zone. Maybe just be okay with your culture. You know, just, Hey, this is a white church. We have predominantly white members that makes this a white church. And that is not evil. You know, maybe yeah, you want to be yeah. more integrated, but it's, it's okay to acknowledge what you are. You know, I, in my heart, in that moment when my friend told me that, I wished that her daughter would have seen her culture as something beautiful. Yeah. And so often we don't, or maybe, you know, we feel guilty because we do. Maybe we experience some intrinsic guilt because we recognize that in being comfortable in our position, we haven't done nearly enough to help those that are you know, what's the word on the, on a lower social rung than what we are because of that endemic culture that exists. We have that intrinsic guilt, but we don't really recognize it as such, but we still feel guilty for acknowledging that culture. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging what is, but oftentimes, I mean, that's even a precursor to addressing what needs to be addressed. And that's how we go about that. That's a, that's definitely a good first step. So I know we're getting ready to wrap up here. I know we've we've had a really good conversation so far. Um, I'm wondering what remarks, Kevin, that you might have at this point. We'll get some closing remarks from each of you. We don't want to keep it too much longer, but we'll see about getting it wrapped up here pretty soon. Yeah, so so just a few things I wanted to say to, to just personally kind of wrap it up, and then um, I want to ask a few questions to, to, to leave it with, with our audience. But one thing that Scott brought up that I think is such a good point is there are a lot of people right now 
who are doing a lot of big things. There's a lot of big gestures. There's a lot of uh, fireworks going off right now, and they look good. And you know, Scott mentioned washing washing uh, feet and 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 these different gestures. And I don't think these are wrong in and of themselves. And and so I, and I don't think Scott would be condemning those either. But the problem is, I think of Joel chapter two verse thirteen when God said, "Tear your tear your hearts." Don't tear your garments. Don't don't. I don't want your sacrifices. It's not that God didn't want the sacrifices, but He wanted a lot more than just a show. He wanted a lot more than just, oh, look, that white congregation did something really nice, showing that it wasn't racist, and then that's it. <laughs> you know, this is something that it it's it's we're dealing with relationships. And unfortunately, if true change is going to come about in the church, that means we have to begin developing relationships. And, uh, you know, Scott once again pointed out this idea that there's a lot of things that are being done symbolically, but what are we doing on a personal level? What are we doing on a relationship level? If, if I have been abusing my wife for 20 years and then I say, hey, honey, I brought some flowers and I'm going to take you to a nice dinner. And then she seems a little skeptical and I go, why are you skeptical? I mean, look at what I just did for you. I brought you flowers and I took you out to a nice dinner. You know, of course she's going to be skeptical because that's a nice show. But what what people need to see is change. They need to see transformative behavior. And, And God has something to say about that in his word. Paul speaks about that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And so... You know, I think about the importance of right now, everybody's talking about racism. I mean, right now it is really pricking the conscience of a lot of people, and that's wonderful. But what's it going to look like six months from now? What's it going to look like a year from now? What's it going to look like two years from now? Is everything going to die down? And, you know, I think about a funeral. A funeral is something that, especially these big elaborate funerals oftentimes, you know, my sister, she was killed in a car wreck when she was 17 years old. And I just remember, I think the casket alone costs like eight to $10,000. And I think, I think about just the elaborate funeral we had. There was, there was 1,500 to 2,000 people there, more food than you can imagine. And for about a week or two, people were calling us, people were coming by. And then all of a sudden, a month goes by, two months goes by, and uh, everybody is just continuing on with their lives. And I still have a, a sister who died in a car wreck. Who, who's no longer there. Where are those relationships? And and I like to think of a parallel that to really any issue where if it's if we've got to be involved, there's got to be relationships. And so let's not just look at this as a big show. Let's not just look at this as, hey, this is great. Churches are doing a lot of good things right now. And then all of a sudden, boom, that's it. We go on with our white lives because, hey, you know what? I, I, I had Sharon on my podcast and she was she was black. So I did something for the black community. Yay. Now I can move on with my white life. You know, there's, check there's it off the list. There you, it is. Yeah, it's a check it off the list. And that's this legalistic mindset. We've got to actually develop true relationships. This is a relational issue at its very core. And, and that is what Jesus taught us. And so that's just what I would like to leave everyone with is the idea of tearing our hearts and not just our garments. Don't just have this outward show, have an inward change and let that change continue. And so I want, I want to kind of leave Scott with you first of all, cause I know, I think you have to dash out of here in a minute, but kind of, if y'all will just give us, give the audience some good resources, whether it's books, whether it's podcasts, whether it's websites, Something that people who have been listening to this say, okay, I realize that this is something I need to do some more digging. I need to do some more self-reflection. Where is a good place for people to start with some good, solid 
factual information. And by the way, speaking of factual information, I was wrong twice on The Princess and the Frog. I looked it up and it was 2009. So apparently I don't uh, have all my facts in a row. So, you know, <laughs> what, what, what are some good, by the way, I'm OCD about making sure I'm getting my facts right. So what are some good sources that some good factual information, Scott, that, that you would recommend to people who want to do some research on this? Sorry, we had a little glitch with the microphone. Scott, you there, brother? Hang on, let me try one more time. Scott, I don't know if you can hear us. We can't hear you. One second, please. Well, I'm glad it was at the very end before we had any technical difficulties. Is uh, Sharon and Terrell still there? We're still here. Okay. You still there, yeah, uh, Terrell? I was going to wait longer to say that just to make him sweat. <laughs> That would have been hilarious because we like messing with Kevin. All right. Well, Scott, I don't know if you can hear us, brother. If you can, we cannot hear you. We'll give him just another second. And I can edit this out in post if I need to, but I probably won't. Just because I'm that kind of guy. All right. All well, right. I'll go ahead while you're working on that and, and really just ask the same question you guys, uh, Terrell and Sharon. So what, what would be some things that you would point people to? Resources, tips, uh, just some suggestions of, of what people can can do what how they can learn some things that they can sources that resources they can go to to study for themselves i'm going to defer to you at the moment terrell you've you've been knee deep in this in terms of research um i, I think one of the big things i would say rather than and i will point to us one specific resource but um Something I've noticed a lot in, in the conversation that I've been seeing online and, and social media is that people, we all tend to operate in kind of echo chambers where we consume a lot of ideas from people who already think like we do. And, and I was certainly, I, I certainly have been guilty of that. Um, but I think one thing I would suggest to people is just stop being afraid. Try to stop being afraid of consuming ideas that are different than your own. Um, there is so much out there right now on, on this subject. There are books, there are podcasts, there are articles. Uh, it is not hard to find resources that talk about exactly what we've been talking about today. Consume them. Um, and, you know, maybe sitting down and reading nonfiction books isn't really your thing. Uh, there's been so many conversations about this um, in, in media recently. And I'm not talking about, you know, the big media, but I'm talking about, you know, on uh, personal things being uh, shared by, by people who've experienced racism, um, uh, podcasts and, and articles and things that, that you can you can educate yourself about this. You, you really can. It's not hard. But we have to stop being afraid of, of uh, ideas that are different than what we currently. You're not going to be polluted by ideas. If you if the way you think is is good and right, then hearing something that's different than that, it shouldn't shouldn't change that. You know, so that, that would be my, my first suggestion is that we've got to be willing to go outside of our normal social circles, our normal ideological circles to get information. Um, so I, I challenge listeners to do that, to start reading outside of their, of their ideological uh, circles. Uh, specifically, I think the book that I've uh, most 
enjoyed uh, enjoyed is is a really is maybe a strong word for it that I've been most affected by uh, recently is um, how to be an anti racist by uh, Ibram X Kendi. Um, it's not an easy book to read. Um, it's actually even for for me personally who feel like I've I've uh, I've walked through a lot of this in my experience already. It was still very um, convicting to me about some of the ideas that I hold. Um, it is certainly not written directly from a Christian perspective. Um, so there will be some ideas in the book that, that may be um, difficult to digest. But it is, it, it's very important, I think, in, in our thinking. And I, uh, I'll wrap up just kind of by sharing one of the ideas from that book, which is that um, being anti-racist, which is the idea of being more than just not racist, not being more than just, well, I'm not racist, so I don't have to worry about this. Is It's an idea that suggests that racial groups are equal in all their apparent differences, that nothing is right or wrong with any particular racial group. Uh, to me, that is what we're, I mean, that's what we're striving for. We're trying to, uh, accept the idea, not just within our own minds, but within society, that that there is nothing good, inherently good or bad about any any particular racial group. That we are all um, there are good things and bad things about about all of us, and and that it's not our color, the color of our skin, that that determines whether we're good or bad, uh, whether we're dangerous or not dangerous, whether we're okay or not okay. It's it's. In my perspective, in our perspective, it's who who God made us. It's uh, the love that He has for us that makes us uh, valuable. So, all in there. Absolutely, I'll say a, a hearty amen to that. So, I think we have Scott back. We ran into a microphone issue, but I think we have him back with us. We'll try one more time so that he can wrap up because he has places to go and hands to shake and babies to kiss and all that good stuff. So, <laughs> Scott, what resources would you recommend to our listeners? Okay. Yeah. I don't think that the microphone is going to reconnect, unfortunately. So whatever resources you have, Scott, I'll have you shoot me an email and we will list them as well in our show notes. Um, any other remarks anyone has before we wrap this up? Um, I would just like to say thank you all so much. I feel like uh, it, it's, it's really an honor to be able to be myself. <laughs> That's been really uh, a unique experience for me with this particular group of people. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And if you ever really want to learn about something, immersion is really just fantastic. If you want to be fluent in a language, immersion is is so much better than just learning from a book because you really understand so much. And for those who do have the wherewithal to just go jump into a black church for a month and meet people so that you understand that there's a range of the human experience within the black culture, then I would say, if you really want to learn, there you go, that'll do it. So, and it's, I'd say one of the reasons black people are so fluent in white culture because we live in it every day. Absolutely. Well, Scott, Sharon, Terrell, we want to thank you guys so much for taking this time out on your Sunday evening to join us on this podcast. We appreciate your insight tremendously because I'm just a regular dude from Southern Oklahoma and Kevin's a hick from Alabama. So your insight has <laughs> been incredible. Roll Tide, baby. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Roll tide.
Roll Tide. So we're we're really glad that you guys were willing to join us, and we'd love to have you guys on again. Maybe we could talk about something else. Maybe we could talk about anything but Alabama football. And you know, we'd it'd be fun to do it again. So to our listeners, thank you all so much once again. We appreciate yeah. you. Well, um, and I just want to say too, it was uh, Sharon. It was honor having you on. Terrell, it was honor having you on. I, we appreciate you guys coming coming on to our podcast and sharing your story. Uh, you know, when we first talked about this, uh, Lee actually, uh, he, he approached me and said, man, we, we really need to do a, a podcast right now on racism. And so I said, yeah, that, that would be a great idea. And here we are, two white guys uh, talking about racism. And I thought, well, <laughs> you know, it'd be good if we could hear from different perspectives. And I know Scott, he's probably listening because I think he can still hear us, but he can't talk. <laughs> I, I th- his wife might like this device. But it's terribly um, <laughs> unfortunate, though. Terribly <laughs> unfortunate for us and our listeners. But anyway, go ahead, bro. But, you know, Scott is, uh, Scott has really had a, had just a lot of experience. Scott, uh, you know, he, he didn't get to elaborate on a lot of the story with um, his letter to Roy. And, and we might have even him come back on to talk about that a little bit more because uh, he actually had someone reach out to him in disagreement. And Scott ended out ended up, well, he didn't reach out to Scott. He just was basically ranting on Facebook about how he disagreed with, with Scott's uh, letter. And so Scott actually reached out to him and they had a really good conversation on Facebook Live, I believe. And Scott said that one of the things he he saw during that is just them coming together uh, because they communicated. They didn't continue to divide, they communicated. And I would just say communication is so important. And instead of getting caught up in all the political garbage out there of if you do this, then you're on this side. And if you do that, you're on that side. Jesus could care less about all that. Jesus cares about you loving people. That's what Jesus cares about. And we've got to begin to uh, look at Christianity as seeking first the kingdom of God, not the not the nation of America. And I think that, first of all, if we understand that being a Christian means seeking first the kingdom of God, then seeking first the kingdom of God means loving God and loving other people. And so the more we can communicate, instead of dividing, the more we can talk, the more we can have conversations, the more we can be in each other's houses, and particularly for white people to go and learn from the black culture. Because as Sharon pointed out, they know the white culture. That's what they live in. That's all they know. So we need to go and we need to experience the black culture to, to understand. Let's go worship with, with them. Let's go learn from them. And uh, I think that if we could do that, We'll begin to see things happen. God will move in ways that we otherwise uh, would not be able to to, to move in, in ways in which we wouldn't be able to move. So thank you guys so much for coming on and just allowing us to have this conversation with you guys. It was an yes, honor. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to thank our listeners, our ever patient audience for listening to us. We thank you all so much. And we ask that you would share this podcast with your friends, share it with your neighbors, share it with your enemies. Maybe you can gain a friend that way too. Um, give us a five-star review on Apple, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook, engage with us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your comments on this. And we'd love to hear from you about any other guests that you might like for us to have on or anything that you would like to have us discuss. So thank you all so much and God bless.